take your Bible and turn over to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, as we continue our study in the life of Abraham. And um, we haven't looked at this since November 13th, the week before Thanksgiving. We've been preaching through the book of Genesis. Thank you, Chuck. And as we look into God's word, we're going to look at Abraham's commitment to faith. We're going to review a little bit and talk about his life up to this point, what we've hit on, and as he grew in his faith, and I believe that's what we learn most from Abraham is the life of faith and what he experienced and how he grew through it and how we can see the similar things in our lives. Scripture readings found in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 8. Follow along as I read. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. That's a key phrase there. In verse 6, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my my father... And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Our message today is focused on Abraham's crisis of faith. He faced a big fork in the road. He's about to graduate with a master's degree in faith and trust with God. This is his biggest test of faith of all in his life, and it's found here in Genesis 22. Let's take a moment and review the character study as we've gone through the life of Abraham up to this point. As we left off at Thanksgiving, we talked about before that the call of Abraham. He came out of a polytheistic life. His father was a polytheist, served many gods, and uh, God came and called him, and it was by faith Abraham was credited with salvation. Then we see the compassion of Abraham, and you might remember the story, and we talked about how Abraham and Lot, uh, his nephew, Lot, uh, they were very successful herdsmen, livestock people, and as a result, they, their herds grew large, and it came to the place where there wasn't enough pasture land for both of them to work together, and so Abraham, out of compassion, said to Lot, you choose whatever land you want to take your flocks to, so that you can be successful. We talked about the contract with Abraham, the promises found in the early part of Genesis that God made to Abraham, that he would be a father of many nations, that God would give his people a land that he promised to them. God said, any nation that blesses Israel will be blessed, and any nation that curses Israel will be cursed. We talked about the confusion of Abraham. We looked at two occasions where Abraham lied about Sarah being his sister, where, well, he was 
she was his half-sister, but he didn't tell him that he was, she was his wife, and so therefore uh, got himself in trouble, and there were consequences because he suffered with unbelief. Then the clarification of Abraham back on November 13th, the unconditional covenant with God, how God came and the animals, if you remember, were divided in the field. They were cut in half. And God came through with a flaming lantern between them to say that I will keep the promises because you can't put those two pieces of the animal back together and bring life. God said, I'm making this and I'm not going to renege on these promises that we just talked about, that he will be a father of a great nation. He would have a people. They would go into a promised land and blessing would follow them as well. So we begin with Abraham in this situation in Genesis 22, faced with a fork in the road, a choice to follow God, which did not make sense to kill his promised son or to take matters into his own hands and live by his own emotions and his own common sense. First thing on your outline, you'll see that Abraham, Abraham's crisis of faith was recognized. He realized what this was all about. God was putting him to a huge test. We see here the death of a vision. Abraham was seeing God's promise presumably end right before his eyes with the death of his son, Isaac, the promised one. For Abraham, this was a test from God that if Abraham was going to trust God and his promises implicitly, God brings every one of us to at least one crisis of belief in our life, or for many of us, several times to see, to not only build character, but to test our character and to see what it's made of. God will bring us to the end of our dreams to prove himself to be the only way in our lives. A few weeks ago, I got to meet with one of my mentors when I lived over in Illinois for a number of years, and Rod Franklin, 83 years old, he said the same thing to me the other day that he said to me many, many times, if Jesus is all you have, Jesus is all you need. And that's what it really comes down to when the rubber meets the road. Do we trust God because it's a better alternative in life than without him? Do we trust God only for what he has done and will do for us? Or do we trust him for who he is because we have that loving, unconditional relationship with him? Abraham thought his vision from God was given to him when Ishmael was born, but God said no to that. Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands. They tried to be the answer to God's promise, but that was not God's will. They ran ahead of it. And so God often takes a man with a vision, and at some point, the vision dies. Why? Well, in my case, in the case of many men and women, God has to bring us to our knees and crush our plans to remind us of several things. These are things that I've learned. First of all, our identity is not in what we do, but who we are. Someone recently reminded me that God said we're human beings, not human doings, right? It's who we are. It's not what we do. Our identity is not what we do, but who we are. It's God's vision and not ours. It's up to his timing and his calendar and not ours. Things are done his way and not our way. We're to depend on him and not on our abilities and our talents and strength. We need to remind ourselves often of two thoughts two things. In the early days of the church, the early church, they would go around throughout the day and they would repeat to themselves, oh Lord Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. That helped them to balance 
humility in their life. And the other great thing I learned when I was in youth group is that we need to understand that I am not better than anyone else and anyone else is not better than me. God looks at us and he loves us all the same. So is God taking your plans, plans that you thought were from God and, ashed and ended them and dashed your hopes on the rocks of discouragement? Look at three subpoints here as we look at Abraham's attitude and response in his crisis of faith. First of all, the challenge to hold true to God and how he is leading even when we don't understand. These are a little wordy today, but I wanted to get some key points here. The challenge to hold true to God and how he's leading even when we don't understand. James Dobson wrote a book, When God Doesn't Make Sense. It's a great book to read, to walk through when you're going through something that you just completely don't understand why God would bring this into your life. Back in Genesis 22, verses 1 through 4, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Notice the emphasis there. God says, your son, your only son. How important this was that God wanted to make that point. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and he rose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. This was God's plan that Abraham was finally following. And God says, kill your one and only son, the promise of many nations. Abraham's faith is challenged with this situation right in front of him. There's no way out. He's at the fork of the road of obedience or following his human nature. How many of us, we're in those situations in our lives. Notice that Abraham had three days to think about it. He had the opportunity to back out of the sacrifice, but he didn't. In verse 4, it says, On the third day he lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. It didn't make sense, but yet he knew God was in control. Look at verse 5 of Genesis 22. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship. And notice what he says, and come again to you. We're going to come back, both myself and Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and so they went, both of them together. In verse 7, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Notice carefully Abraham's words in verse 5. We see his commitment of faith is unwavering here. Abraham believed after all that he'd been through that God would either spare or resurrect Isaac. And God, he knew, wasn't going to fail him even though what he thought was impossible to face, he was willing to trust God for anyway. In verse 8, God tells Isaac that God is going to provide a lamb for the sacrifice as they worship God. How deep is your faith in God? Is your faith now circumstance and common sense proof that whatever God says to you, you will take him at his word because you know that he has the loving best for your life? That's something that we need to really think deeply about in our soul. 
God will bring us, as I said, several times in our life to different crises. Those are the times we discover how strong our trust and our faith in God is. Some of you in this room are hoping for God to do some amazing things. Some of you are facing a crisis of belief like Abraham. What are you going to do? How will you tie another knot at the end of your rope to hold on and to continue to hold on to Jesus' hand? Let's see, let's see how Abraham deals with this, the challenge to handle emotions and relationships that our obedience will affect. I think that's one of the hardest things is some of the decisions we make betray our feelings. And sometimes the decisions we make affect our families and people around us or in the workplace. And so we have to understand what this is all about. When I say crisis of faith, what is it? Well, did you know the Greek word for crisis means decision? It's also <clears throat> interpreted or translated in other places in the Bible as judgment. The crisis of faith is a turning point in your life where you must make a decision, and that decision will show what you really believe about God. In our Connect group, we're beginning a study in the book of James. And the theme of that book is faith without works is dead. What we say we believe about God is eclipsed by how we live it out, how we live out our beliefs. And so bottom line, does our walk match our talk? Does our walk match our talk? Did you know that the characters in the Chinese language for the word crisis are the same characters used for the word opportunity? A crisis always presents us with opportunities. Henry Blackaby in his book, Experiencing God, says this, how you and I respond at these times in our lives that are a crisis or turning points will determine whether you go on to be involved with God in something God-sized that only he can do, or whether you will continue to go your own way and miss what God has purposed for your life. <clears throat> there have been plenty of times in my life that I've come to that fork in the road. I think about when I was 15 years old, a year after I came to faith in Christ at, at the Treasure Island Youth Camp and challenged to, uh, to make my life a living sacrifice to dedicate my life to the Lord. And I did that. I think about when I was 16 and challenged in a chapel service to uh, surrender to the call of God. I thought I was going to be an electrical engineer like my two grandfathers were and following their footsteps. But God said, no, I want you to go into ministry. I think about the time that we left one ministry from New Jersey, moving away from our family to go 800 miles away to Illinois to a new ministry with a two and a four-year-old child, leaving family behind. Think about all those forks in the road that you faced and the times that you've followed God. Think about the time of the cost of standing up for what scripture said, losing a job and not sure how he's going to support family. For all of us in this room, we need to commit our kids, our nephews, our nieces, our grandkids to the Lord for their salvation and for God to use them however he wishes and wherever he wishes. Can you pray that prayer of faith and trust in God to lay your children, your nephews, your nieces, people around you, your grandkids on the altar and say, Lord, whatever you want for them, I'm willing to accept. Being willing to do those things could disrupt our plans and our desire to be close to our family. How could obeying God in whatever and wherever he wants us to go affect your emotions, 
your relationships with family and friends. This is a deep soul issue. In other words, who are you most loyal to in the end for making your decisions? And then we see, thirdly under this main point, the challenge to act by faith in the face of the unknown. This is probably the hardest part, being afraid of the uncertainty of what's going to happen next. Well, after 2020, we should all be over that, right? I mean, we've entered a whole year of not knowing what was going to happen next. And was that, were we going to be open or stay open as a business or schools or churches? Or are we going to be closed? Or what's going to happen in the next few hours? Well, we've learned a little bit about that. But this is how we're to live daily, to live by faith and not by sight. To repeat, how we live our daily lives is a testimony of what we believe about God. And I encourage our young people here as well. Have you open to God's calling on your life? Maybe he wants you to be a missionary. Maybe he wants you to be a medical doctor in another part of the world. Maybe he wants to call you into ministry of some kind full time. I hope that our young people pray about that and give that some thought. Or maybe God wants you to be a doctor or a lawyer and find out what your purpose and passion is that God has put within you to live it out for the glory of God. We live by faith one day, one step at a time. The application here is an encounter with God requires faith. Anytime we're going to grow, we're going to encounter, we're going to experience God, it has to be by faith. And we jump all in. So let's look at Abraham's response now to his personal crisis of faith. Abraham's response to his crisis of faith. Look at verse 9 of Genesis 22. When they, Isaac and Abraham, came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Notice that Abraham responded by complete and immediate obedience. He answered Isaac's question with strong faith. Isaac trusted God and his father implicitly. He was probably 19 or 20 years of age. Notice he willingly laid down his life because he trusted and respected his father. As someone that old, 18, 19, 20, he could have easily subdued his father over 100 years old. He could have, because of his sheer strength, he could have refused to do it, but he did not. Isaac here is a type of Christ. Think about what was said, one and only son. He was about to be sacrificed because God said to sacrifice him. The hopes and dreams of God for the nation of people were wrapped up in Isaac as well as Christ and the possible resurrection. But remember that Abraham was remembering that God called him his friend. Some of the thoughts that probably went through his mind in James 2.23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. We've heard that phrase said several times throughout the book of Genesis. His faith was credited to him for righteousness. So Abraham rested in confidence on his past baby steps of faith as well as his failures. He realized God had been there. God encouraged him. God had stuck with him even when he blew it big time on several occasions. That should give us great encouragement and hope. So here we go. What do we do in response to God's invitation reveals what we believe about God? When I talk about worldview, my definition is how a person views life 
and lives out those values, their beliefs, what you believe on. To me, it's not what you say, but it's how you live your life that reveals what your worldview is. And will we walk with God when no one else understands or even when we don't understand? Think about Noah. For 120 years, he was building an ark. Can you imagine the people mocking him and calling him a fool and no one had seen rain before and he's talking about this big, huge flood, rainstorm that was about to come? I'm reading this book, Overcoming Life, by D.L. Moody, and he says he imagines that every nail Noah puts in the ark, he's doing it by faith, pounding that nail, believing God that I'm going to do what he tells me to do, even if it doesn't make sense. Think about Moses. He left this beautiful palace. He was Pharaoh's adopted son. He had the finest education. He had all the wealth, and he left it all to identify with his people, the Jews, and to be a deliverer. And then he wandered in the wilderness with them and put up with their complaining and their uh, challenge to his authority and lived in a tent for 40 years. Think of Joseph. Think about him, letdown after letdown. Every time he tried to do what's right, he'd end up in trouble or in jail. And finally, after 13 years, he gets elevated to be second in authority in Egypt. And he's used by God to save the region from famine and starvation. So we see when God moves and asks us to do things, sometimes it doesn't make sense, but are we going to believe who God is? Another thing is what we encounter with God's invitations are God-sized. God-sized. Remember what we said earlier, God-sized assignments are those assignments that only God can answer. In other words, unless God shows up and provides in an amazing way, it just ain't going to happen. So keep praying for the lost in your family or the wayward son or daughter or grandson or daughter. Keep praying and trusting God from the move in our nation, beginning with our churches and then our community and out to the far reaches of our nation to bring revival. Pray for those on the prayer list that Carrie Barfels puts out week after week. I have people that call me, especially during this year, and they say, thank you for being a praying church. We have people giving us requests from outside our church because they know that we are a praying church. So I have a plaque in my office that says two words, pray big, pray big. And it's a reminder when I see that to trust God for beyond what I can see. The great missionary to India, William Carey, said this, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. What are you praying about that's so big that if God doesn't do it, it won't happen. What are you trusting God to do in your life this year? Just this week, David Nelms challenged our church from the Timothy Initiative. They challenged our four converged churches here on the Iowa side, here in the Quad Cities, to raise $48,000 to help them as they spend $330 per church to plant churches. And they're trying to get into Nepal and Pakistan, and so they've challenged us to do that. That's a God-sized assignment. As I think about um, remodel project that we've talked about, we had to put on hold. That would be something that will be a God-sized project when we get to that opportunity to have a capital campaign and renovate our building. I think about this week, how we've been able to provide pizza over here at Pleasant View Elementary School, and the coming weeks at the high school, 
to encourage our teachers there because it's been a difficult year with the hybrid, trying to do the online and in-person. God-sized things and ways that we can reach out and move and allow God to work and use us. And then where true faith is put to the test, action is required. Where God puts the faith to the test, we have to respond. We have to do something. As we pray, we listen. And as we listen, we hear. And then we do. As we wait for God to answer some of our prayers, we're to be about the business of worshiping, of serving, of giving, of doing what we know that's right in front of us. God moves people easier when they're already moving in his will. Remember, we are to be aware that God is already at work around us. And so we pray and we ask how we can join him in the kingdom work going on in our neighborhood and in our church and the community around us. And as I've often said, God's will can be easily found, but we must be obedient to what he's already given for us to do. And that's how he leads us. For in my life, if you can handle the small things and God can trust you with the small things, he's going to give you bigger assignments because your faith is growing. I think about the story in Experiencing God Workbook by Henry Blackaby. He was a, a pastor up in Canada before he started this ministry, and he always had small churches. And his church uh, one day came to him after he was talking about God-sized assignments, and they said, how come we always set the budget based on what people gave last year? They said, let's sit down and see what God wants us to do. What's our vision? What can we do to expand our our influence into the community. So they sat down and God showed them what they wanted to do and they set their budget for that. It was $164,000. The previous year's budget was $64,000. So they shared with the church at large and they voted on that. And do you know, a year later, they took in $172,000 because of faith. That's a monetary thing that we think about. If you want to read a great book on this, I don't condone all that Robert Morris from Gateway Church preaches, but this is a great book called The Blessed Life, uh, Unlocking the Rewards of Generous Giving. Another great book to read would be Giving It All Away and Getting It Back Again by David Green, the founder of Hobby Lobby. They talk about, yeah, it's the financial, but the side benefits of all those things. So I encourage you, if you'd like to stretch your faith to read those books or even R.G. Letourneau, where he ended up giving 90% of his income away, trusting God for the final 10%. The application here is responding in faith acknowledges that God is always at work in our lives and all around us. Well, lastly, Abraham receives God's provision in his crisis of faith. In Genesis 22.10, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Notice the peace of knowing we are obedient to the heavenly call. The peace that we get knowing that we are obedient to the heavenly call. Can you imagine the knot in Abraham's stomach and the pain of his emotions and his heart as he raised that knife over his son bound to the wood? Can you imagine the horror in his eyes as he thought about killing his son, the one he had waited for for a hundred years, the one God had said would be the promised one, and through him, the three promises God gave to Abraham earlier in life would be fulfilled? Do you think he wondered if God was really going to resurrect his son? I can't imagine what was going through Abraham's mind as he raised his hand with that knife. But then, as we all know, God intervenes. 
And let this be a personal reminder that God always intervenes one way or another in our personal lives. So know this, the peace of knowing that the one who calls us to a God-sized assignment is the one who will provide the fulfillment of that assignment. He isn't going to call you to something that he will not give you by his grace, by his power, by money, by healing, or whatever you fill in the blank, God will provide. Look at Genesis 22, verses 11 through 19. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I've sworn, declares the Lord, because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Because of Abraham's faith, God made himself known once again to Abraham in a supernatural way. Abraham had revealed the strength of his faith at the point of obedience in the midst of his crisis of belief. And this part is what gives me goosebumps every time I read this story. I want you to think about this, that while here's Abraham and Isaac with the wood, the knife and the fire walking up one side of the mountain, God is bringing the ram up the other side of the mountain to be at the right place at the right time to fulfill and to intervene and to provide the sacrifice. God wanted Abraham to see the level of faith that he had graduated to. And God rewarded it by giving back the vision that he really originally gave to him. And God, when he crushes our vision, he gives it back after he adjusts the vision and he, after he adjusts our perspective. The problem is we quit too soon obeying his voice for a multitude of reasons. We become doubters and skeptics because we're not patient to wait on God for his timing. And when we walk through the door of faith, God will amaze us at his provision. Abraham named that place Jehovah Jireh, God provides. Notice there's two names in this passage or section of scripture. In Genesis 21, Abraham called the place El Olam, the enduring God, the eternal God. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. But then we read here, Jehovah Jireh, God provides. In 22.14, the daily details and needs of our lives. Again, Genesis 22.14, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it's said this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. God doesn't have a panic button sitting next to his throne in heaven. God is always, always right on time. We think God doesn't understand our time commitments and our schedules, how God must laugh at how small our thinking is about our plans. We need to hold on to Jesus a little longer. 
In Psalm 30, verse 5, it says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. One of my favorite verses, Philippians 4:19, and my God will supply all your needs, all your needs, psychological, physical, fill in the blank, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God went on in this passage to affirm deeply his love and his commitment to Abraham after he passed the test of faith. And Abraham did not hold his only son from God, just like God did not hold his only son from us. But he allowed his son to come and he went through with the sacrifice and allowed his son to be crucified and then to be resurrected to save us from our sin, to provide forgiveness for the sins of this whole world. I close with this story. There was a man named Craig, and he was an alcoholic for many years. He lost his wife and his son and his house, and he was pretty destitute. He came to faith in Christ, and after losing his well-paying job, he had to take a job as a clerk at a grocery store, bagging groceries and running uh, the register and you know doing all those things. But the bad news about this place was while he was trying to kick his addiction to alcohol, they all had all of his favorite alcoholic drinks there. And so for a couple of years, he would try to follow Christ, but he'd fall back into his addiction and back and forth it went until one day he decided that was it. He was going to quit his job. He was going to trust God and he was just going to walk away from the alcohol. And so he remembered that he prayed and he says, God, if you will give me a job, I will give you the very first paycheck, the entire paycheck to you if you find me a job. He applied for a job at a sheet metal company just down the road from his church. And surprisingly, he got the job. So what did he do? He remembers getting that first paycheck. And he said, this is what really changed his life and his trust in God. He was penniless. He had a stack of bills. But the first thing he did is he endorsed the check over to the church. And he didn't wait till Sunday. He went to the church office immediately and gave it to the secretary there to put in. He said it literally transformed his trust in God. Well, now, 25 years later, he's still serving in his church as an elder, and he's a manager in that sheet metal factory where he first got the job. Can you hold on to Jesus just a little longer? Can you move out of the rut you call your Christian life and trust God to do greater and bigger things in your life? Remember, Abraham called the place Jehovah-Jireh, God will provide. Remember 1 Thessalonians 5.24, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. And the application here is the blessing comes in knowing that we have pleased God by our act of faith. We have pleased God when we choose that fork of the road and obey him, even though our circumstances and common sense say don't do it, we will face the fact that God is pleased with our decision. Every Christ follower must focus and follow God in a crisis of belief. And our key thought is this, that we end on genuine faith is demonstrated by our actions. It's what you, you do with your life more than what you say. There's a great old hymn of the faith. It's called, It Will Be Worth It All. <clears throat> and after we've gone through this year and some of you are facing different issues and crisis of faith, I think about this chorus. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Let's bow for prayer.
Maybe you're today and maybe you're struggling with your faith. Maybe you're wondering, what is God up to in my life? Why are these decisions or these trials and these tribulations coming my way? And I don't understand, Lord, what it's all about. And maybe you say, today, you would say, God, just help me. Help me to hold on. Help me to obey and follow you. No matter what my feelings say, no matter what other people may say, help me to know what you want me to do and be at peace with that. If God's challenging you in that way, I just encourage you. No one's looking around. I just want to encourage you to slip your hand up so I can pray for you. Anyone at all, just before we pray. I'm dealing with a crisis of faith and I need God to intervene and help me to trust him more. Anyone at all. Father, we come and we just thank you for this great story that we can often go back to in Genesis 22. How you are faithful to provide that where you lead, your grace follows and is ahead of us and is there to take care of our needs. So Lord, continue to help us to grow in our faith like Abraham. Help us to pass these tests that we face in our lives, small and big. And help us, Lord, to trust you because we know you're worth it. And that one day when we see your face, all these things, these concerns and worries will fade away. When we hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.